0: It's good to be able to be together. We've got uh, our good friend, uh, Joel Labelle, coming to speak with us this morning. But before we welcome him up, um, if you don't know, Joel Labelle, him and his wife, Julie, are actually part of the oversight of Curate. And uh, we're very thankful for that. We've been friends for many, many years, and we're thankful for all of their input and their guidance into the church. Uh, Joel currently serves as I don't know what your actual title is, but he, he runs Convoy of Hope, which is uh, an aid organisation uh, that, that operate, you run it for Oceania and uh, setting it up over here and uh, he's doing a fantastic job. So why don't we welcome him up as he comes to share. Good morning. Hey. Kia ora. Great to see you, Curate family, Auckland, everybody, wherever we are. Thank you, team. What a great job today! You can stay or go. I don't mind which one you do. Probably more comfortable if you left, though, wouldn't it? You can be standing around for a while. What we could do is we could all sit down and get them to stand. <laughs> yeah, no. <nah. laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? Oh, it's so great to be back with you. Love New Zealand. Um, first greeting I had this morning though was sorry about last night. Hospitality, gee, which I said, we can't even beat the Warriors, let alone the All Blacks at the moment. It's a challenge. Our son-in-law plays for the Roosters, so we're like big NRL fans, um, and we're having a shocking year. Gee, we need help. We really do need help. It's It's terrible. Um, So we're in a great series right now talking about hospitality, about doing life together. I think that's pretty much the theme for the year, but I'm loving the diversity of ages and backgrounds, and you can see life when you look at photos, can't you? You can see life in a family, you see life in people when you see them. So uh, like Joel said, we look after the Convoy of Hope, which is a global humanitarian organisation, and we do that through churches, with churches... Uh, Kaz is with me, one of our colleagues who looks after disaster services, and uh, she has been very involved with a lot of the churches in New Zealand with everything that's happened through Hawke's Bay. Like, you know, how it came down through Auckland at the beginning of the year and right across and uh, really smashed that whole area of Hawke's Bay. So we're heading there tonight to go meet with some churches tomorrow and uh, more work. There's a lot of work. Keep, keep thinking about them. Um, I know it was obviously everything that's in the news hangs around for a couple of weeks, and then we all move on, but those that it affects, it stays for a long time. And so there's a lot of work to be done down that area. So it's great to be part of that and part of the answer and the solution. So I want to say thank you to you guys too, Curate. Thank you for your generosity towards Convoy and your partnership, um, whether it's in the Hawke's Bay area or with Ukraine, you know, the different things that you guys have done. It's been phenomenal to be able to work together. Uh, Whether it's a refugee waiting four days to cross the border or a single mum doing it tough sleeping in a car with the kids, that's happening a lot these days. I met um, a number of people who they have jobs, kids go to school but they've got no place to live. And so homelessness is broadening its definition. It's taken on a whole lot different meaning. Um, people waiting to get into homes, there's domestic family violence situations, whatever it is, we're we're working together right across the world together. So thank you. Thank you for your part in that because on behalf of millions of people all around the world, they would love to say thank you as well. So we appreciate it. Um, I want to kind of jump into this theme a little bit. Joel was telling me where you guys are at. And so one of the things I wanted to say firstly is the Greeks uh, were worried about being wrong, so they fought to be right. The Jews were worried about missing out, so they fought for relationship. And it's really not about whether we agree with all thoughts, it's whether we can wrestle with them. Good sermons are not to be agreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with. And so my prayer today is that we would open our hearts and our minds and go on this journey together and allow God to shift us and nudge us with some of these thoughts, yeah? So I want to talk about righteousness, the righteousness of God. Um, and I want to do it for a couple of reasons. One, I think many of us, when we think about righteousness, we think about immorality. But it's not, righteousness is not so much about immorality as much as it's about hospitality. And I want to show us that this morning. Hospitality is an invitation of inclusion. It's easier to call people out than it is to call people in. And God would have us call people in, bring them into our lives, bring them into our homes, bring them into our circle, I was saying to Kaz when one of the slides was up before about small groups, it said, uh, scan the QR code to find your people. And that, that's really cool. I like the way that you say that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a, been to a church service before for the first time and you're standing around in the foyer before they open the doors to let you in. And you're just standing there, just waiting for somebody to say hi. know, if you're a bit of an introvert like me, you might be standing around the foyer for a long time before anyone says hi. And you're trying to make it as obvious as you can, aren't you? You're kind of walking around and just maybe pull up the same brochure five times, just trying to give these verbal and visual cues that I would love to talk to anyone right now. I'm just finding it a bit of a challenge to initiate the conversation. And hospitality is all about being able to not just see that people are by themselves and include them. It's a desire to do so. It's going out of our way. It's actually proactively thinking about who is it right now that's within my vicinity that I can include, that I could invite into this circle. I was in um, our church that that we attend. We, We attend a church on the Gold Coast. That's where I live. And I remember walking in at the very, you know, we've only been there for two and a half years. We grew up in Sydney. But when we first walked into church, I remember against my nature of being an introvert, I tried to in the foyer purposefully go into conversations, and there'd be like three, four guys standing around about my age, and so I'd try and break into the circle and say, "Hi, I'm Joel," and they go, "Hi," and inside I'm like, "This is so awkward," and so you just kind of stand around for a couple more seconds, and you're like, "I got to go. I got. I got stuff I got to do. It's just weird, right?" And we've all been in those situations where you're trying to break into a conversation. Um, and there are some really special people. Some of you are really gifted at actually helping people feel like they fit and just bringing them in and just including them. And it, you may not be gifted, but we can all try. We can all do a little bit better. It's, it's, surely that's what we're meant to be doing. Um, Psalm 37 verse four, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, I think it, sometimes, especially in Pentecostal churches, we could think that that says if you love God, He'll give you whatever you want. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe what it's saying is if you love God and spend time with God, you'll wake up one day with desires and think where do they come from? God put them there. So when you love God, He puts desires in your heart that actually do good for you. Maybe that's more what it's saying. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will, he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of the heart that you have, they, they came from Him. He gave them to you. Because they're good; they're for others. Uh, my dad, on our birthday, I remember this growing up as a kid. He would always take us to the shops, to a toy shop, and just say, "Pick out whatever you want. Pick your gift." And sometimes we can translate that type of mentality into God. He's just like, "We just wants to throughout life. What do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. If you love me, I'll give you whatever you want." We know it doesn't work that way, that does it? But if we delight ourselves in Him and however desire after Him, we start to see that our our desires get shaped. Because you can't hang out with God and stay the same. He changes us, doesn't He? So Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before Him. The joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? It was the alarm clock that got me out of bed this morning. What wakes you up? What motivates you? What gets you going? What motivates you to include people? What motivates you towards hospitality? We'll come back to this verse. Um, Jules, my wife, Jules, has been reading Keith Green's book. Anyone old enough to remember Keith Green? Oh, good. I've got some friends. Um, So because she's been reading that book, No Compromise, uh, Keith Green has had a bit of a resurgence in our home through our play system. And so we're listening to a lot of his albums and songs at the moment. And as I was preparing this, one of the songs that was on in the background at home um, is that song where he says, don't close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Jesus rose from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. I was like, ooh. He was always a straight shooter, Keith Green, wasn't he? What motivates us in life to do good to others, to love people the way that we've been loved by Christ? We'll come back to that at the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 It says, God made him, Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we can just leave that up there for a moment, I want to have a look. I want this to stay up. This is in the uh, NIV version and it's important to leave it up because it's a really bad translation. Can I say that? That was like a nervous laugh. Um, God made made Jesus, God made him, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin. I mean, how can Jesus become sin? He's God. I know he became man, but he's still fully divine, fully God. So he can't become sin, which is why it's good to read verses in different translations. God made him who had no sin, that word, um, had no sin, to be sin, that's gonosco. it's um. It means to know. God made him who had no sin or knew no sin in the NLT. God made him who knew no sin. The word knew is gnosko in Greek, which means to know by experience. It's an intimate knowledge via experience. It's why sometimes if you read the old King James, and if you're reading through some of the verses, when Adam knew Eve, they had a child. You're like, I know lots of people and they're not having kids. Well, that's because that word know is this intimate knowledge via experience, right? It carries the same word there. So God made him who had no sin, or in the NLT, God made Jesus who knew no sin, who had no experience, no intimate experience of, or knowledge of sin, to become, which is better in the New Living Translation, a sin offering, So Jesus doesn't become sin for us. God made Jesus who had no intimate knowledge of sin via experience to become an offering of sin for us so that through him we might share in the glory of God. So let's look at it in the Greek, in the Catholic version of the Greek, Septuagint, if we switch over. It says, Christ was without sin, but for our sake, God made him share. There's that Greek word gnosko. God made him share through intimate knowledge of experience our sin nature, in order that in union, same word, we might share the righteousness of God. So we get to share the righteousness. We get to have this intimate knowledge of the righteousness of God through experience. How? It's a great exchange because God comes to earth to be like us, and He shares. Doesn't become our sin. He shares our sinful experience. We get to share. His righteousness experienced. Does that make more sense? Yep. That's what we're trying to say here. So what is this righteousness that we have become or that we get to share? What is this righteousness? If I was to ask you personally and I say, what's the righteousness of God? You might say, well, it's how God makes us right. And sure, that's true. But it's far deeper. It's more profound than that. It's not just about being made right. So what is the righteousness of God? Let's go to one more verse and give us a bit more help here. It's in Romans 3.25. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. Someone say demonstrate. In Auckland, say demonstrate. Oh, we're in Auckland. (laughs) So God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So same thing here, this God made Christ a sacrifice of atonement or mercy seat. So God makes Jesus the mercy seat for our demonstration of righteousness, the mercy seat. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant? The um, Harrison Ford's got a brand new, I haven't seen it yet, so no spoiler alerts, but he's got that new Raiders right of the Lost Ark. There's a new one out. And if you remember the first one, I started watching the series so that I could get up to date to get ready to watch the latest one that's out. The Raiders of the Lost Ark is this chest that's all laid in gold that if you lift the lid up, which you don't, do you? There's no way you lift that lid up because we know what happens when you lift the lid, right? Fire comes out and destroys us all. So you don't lift the lid. But if you were to lift the lid, inside would be what? The Ten Commandments. And there's a few other things. No, that's so great. He's connected. The Ten Commandments, um, there's some manna in there in a jar, the, the, the stud of the, the, the staff of Aaron that's been buttered, but the Ten Commandments, so that's the law, the law's inside. And the, the, the lid on top is called the mercy seat, which is why mercy triumphs over judgment, which is why that famous verse John 3:16, "God loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world to die for us." Verse 17, God did not send His Son to judge the world, but to save the world because mercy triumphs over judgment. So God made Jesus to be this mercy seat that is constantly in love with you to bring, this, to bring His love out of you for the demonstration of righteousness. So the question I'm asking is, how do you demonstrate righteousness? How do you demonstrate righteousness? Well, if we understood what the Hebrew word righteousness is, which is When, uh, when when Israel, before Israel became a nation, it was Abraham and Sarah and the kids, and then they went into Egypt, and in Egypt they became a nation that God brought out of oppression. And so when they came out of Egypt, the ancient Hebrew language was written in hieroglyphics. So every letter in the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew alphabet is like little pictures and each picture, each each letter is a picture that tells a story. So the word sadak for righteousness, the word sadak is made up of three letters, sadi, dalit, kof. And sadi, the picture is a fish hook with bait on it, which means, gives you the idea of something that you're being lured in, right? You're being drawn in. It's a fish hook with bait. That's sadi. Dalit is a door that is open that you go through and kof is the back of the head. So Sadi Dalek Kof, righteousness, is when I have a desire, I'm drawn, I have a desire to open the door and invite in those who are poor and marginalised and oppressed. That's what righteousness means. It's when I have a strong desire to open the door and make a way for you. That's what righteousness means. But over the years, it's more come for us to think that righteousness is this right standing that I have. I'm right before God. And can you see the complications of that thought? Now, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm right with God. You're separate from God. So I'm in, you're out. And it can accidentally cause us to live in a way where we look down on outsiders. And then everything we do around church life can accidentally become inside-outside. Inclusion, exclusion. Aren't you glad that God doesn't treat humanity that way? God doesn't just love churches. He loves everyone. For God loved curate. For God loved Christians. No, John 3.16, for God loved the world. He loved us all. In fact, he loved us before we loved him. It says while we were still sinners and separate from God, Christ died for us. We don't need to say sorry for God to forgive us. We need each other to say sorry before we'll forgive you. But aren't you glad that God doesn't wait for us to say sorry before he forgives us? His love is such that he already has forgiven us. It's already there. It's available. So righteousness, we demonstrate it when we have this desire to open the door and make a way for people. That's got to be the greatest part of hospitality. Righteousness is not just what you are, it's what you do. You cannot claim to be righteous without doing righteousness. 1 John 4, 19 says it this way, we love because he first loved us, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command anyone who loves God must also love brother and sister. And brothers and sisters aren't just biological, it's people that we do life with, it's our neighbor. That's why it's love thy neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's people who disagree with us, it's people who we might say are our enemies. And Jesus still gives us that command to love your enemy. It's to serve all mankind. That's a challenge. I find that challenging. One of the greatest things about being, one of the greatest challenges about being human is all the other humans. So I have the opportunity to grow every day because I find that very challenging. And just in case that verse wasn't clear enough, James 2 verse 17 says, you see then faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, Sadak, it is dead and useless. Unless it produces good deeds, unless it's producing Sadaka, it's actually useless, which is why Matthew chapter 6, you know that Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus tells. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus says, be careful when you're doing your acts of sedaka, your righteousness, when you're doing acts of righteousness before people, that you don't do it in a way where the hypocrites, where they blow trumpets in the church and on the street corners. Remember that verse in Matthew 6? Think, Why would you be blowing trumpets in the church service when you're trying to do something great? Unless we realise that in ancient Hebrew culture, the trumpet in a church service was actually the offering box. It was short at the top, wide at the bottom, and that's where they would put their coins. They put their money. When you put it in, it made this loud trumpety kind of noise. So the more you had, the more of a show you could make by dropping your coins in the trumpet, the offering box, and it was to show, I'm trying to prove how righteous I am. And Jesus is saying, don't make this big fanfare about your sadaka, your righteousness, because it's meant to be coming from a deep desire to open the door and make a way for people. So back to Hebrews chapter 12, where we started, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy, the joy set before Jesus he endured the cross. What was the joy for Jesus? What deep joy would Jesus endure the cross? Why would Jesus let us kill him? Why would he do that? I was watching Shazam on the plane and on the way over, and... Um, I don't know if it's just a boy thing. Um, do you girls, are you girls like this? You kind of, when you were young, you kind of grew up thinking, I'd like to be Wonder Woman, I want to be Superman. I want to, You know, you want to have supernatural hero powers so that you could intervene in situations. I was a bit of a wimp growing up. I was very short. I was under average height during school. I was far more scrawny than I am now. So I easily get pushed around a bit and I could never really intervene in situations and I wish I had some type of superpower to be able to help Wish I'd been able to do that. And you think about God. Here he is in the flesh, Jesus. And he's getting punched. They're pulling his beard out. They're spitting on him. They're whipping him. Eventually they make him carry a cross all the way up to the top of the hill. And they pin him down, nail him to it, and they crucify him. And he's God. He, he, he let us do that. Remember that time when he was in the garden and the soldiers came to arrest him and Peter pulls out a sword and lops off one of the guy's ears? And Jesus says, ah, 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 ah put, put swords away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. He said, don't you know that at any moment I could call on my father and a legion of angels could be at my disposal? Why does he let us kill him? The joy set before Jesus, he endures the cross, the hostility of shame. Do you know why? Because God's deepest desire was to demonstrate righteousness, Sadaka, God's deepest desire was to open a door and make a way for us because we were blind and naked and ashamed and disconnected and God was in Christ reconciling the entire world to himself. That's righteousness. God came down to display it so that we might copy him and display it so that we can live in a way where we practice having a desire to open the door and invite people in, make a way for people, help people, anyone who's less fortunate than us, anyone who is disregarded or marginalised. You see people that are If you're studying, if you're in school, if you're in college and university and you see people that are getting picked on, it's the desire to open the door and make a way for people. In business, people who are being bullied, it's the desire to open the door and make a way for people. In ministry, where people are trying to stammer over each other and climb over each other to become successful, it's the ability to have a desire to open the door and make a way for people, to empower people. Jesus does this all the time. There's this one time where Jesus is talking to the crowds And the Pharisees, which were like religious leaders of the church, the Pharisees dragged this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. I mean, just imagine that, not too graphically, but just just think about that for a second. She's been caught in the act of adultery, which means probably they've set her up, which is probably why the guy is not here. Because they don't care about the woman. They've set this up, because they drag this woman into where Jesus is with a crowd of people and they throw her down in front of Jesus and between Jesus and the crowd and they say, the law says that such a woman is to be stoned to death. But what do you say? Remember, Jesus is here, the righteousness of God. He's here to demonstrate righteousness. He wants to show Sadaka. How on earth do you show Sadaka in that situation? Because the law actually does say, stone a woman who commits adultery. It says that in Leviticus. So how do you get around this one Jesus? And so everyone's pressing in, the crowd's like, wow, what's going to happen here? And when the Pharisees say, the law says, but what do you say? That's like an in your face to Jesus. Because when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is always saying, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, anyone who hates their brother, right? So he's actually redefining the law. He's actually reinterpreting the Torah, which he's allowed to do because he has Samak as a rabbi. And so Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount where he's reinterpreting how to understand the law. And because the Pharisees hear him doing this, they're ticked off. So they bring this woman in who's broken the law and they say, the law says, but what do you say? How do you reinterpret this one, Jesus? That's the context of what's going on. So Jesus bends down, he starts scribbling in the dirt and we've got no idea what he's doing, what he's writing. And they're still hackling him. They're still trying to get an answer. They wanna know, what, how do you get out of this one? The law says, stone this woman because she's committed adultery. What do you say? And so he stands back up. And he says, okay, whoever has never sinned can throw the first stone. And it says, starting with the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and they left. Because the older we are, the more we know, don't we? i got, I got nothing, I can't throw this. i got a whole life full of doing things wrong. Do you know what it also says in the Levitical law about stoning people to death, about adultery? It says that you can only stone a person to death on the testimony of two or more witnesses. That's the law. So the way Jesus deals with this situation, how do you demonstrate righteousness in a crazy situation like that? You remove all of the accusers. Everyone drops their rock and leave. Jesus gets back down to the woman. And he says, where are all your accusers? and she looks up and around, and they've all gone. Well, the law says you can't stone a woman to death unless there are two or more accusers, and they're all gone. Isn't that incredible, how he does that? Because he wants to demonstrate righteousness. And this is what he's trying to call us to do. He comes to us. His desire is to open the door and make a way for us. Why? Why? so that we can open the door and make a way for others. The righteousness of God is not so much a title. It's not a, it's not a plaque. It's not a, it's not a place. It's a being. It's, it's a doing. It's we, we hang out with him and he, he rubs off on us. And we have this strong desire to open the door and make a way for people. We, we, want, we want people to be released and set free and included. We want people to feel validated and dignified and loved. That's what righteousness is. It's the ability to be like God. God is like Jesus. He's exactly like Jesus. He wants us to open the door and make a way for people. So God, we thank you that you've opened the door and made a way for us. We are so grateful And we ask you, help us to have this desire to open the door and make a way for others. We walked forward today to a communion table to remember you. And we want to remember what you were like. We want to remember the things that you did. How did you treat people? How did you treat the outcast, the outsider? How did you you treat the religious? Even them, you included. Even them was the invitation to come sit and eat. We don't want to judge God because we don't want to be judged. There's things right now in our hearts, Lord. Would, Would you nudge us? Would you speak to us? Those situations? What are the types of people? Just think about this right now. What are the types of people that irritate you? What are the people groups that annoy you? Is there anybody in your life that God is bringing to mind right now that you have an attitude with? Because to practice righteousness is to deal with these things in our heart, in our mind. Where is it that maybe the Lord wants to speak to us? Where is it that he's trying to set us free? Lord, we ask for your love right now to fill our hearts and our minds, Oh, we wanna practice your righteousness, sadaka. We wanna reveal it in our lives. We wanna be just like you, Jesus. We wanna have this desire to open the door and make a way for people. Help us as we think about hospitality, doing life together, how to include people, how to invite those strangers, how to invite the people that seem to be on the fringe. Lord, I remember when I was on the fringe and you invited me in. You stirred the hearts of others to invite me in. May we live like that toward others. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you are on that journey towards trusting Jesus, congratulations. Keep doing that. Keep walking. Keep walking toward Him. Keep asking questions. Keep staying curious. We do our best up here to try and bring to you what we think about God, about the Scriptures. But you need to ask yourself, ask God, ask Him. And if you're in that situation where you want to say yes to God, you can do that wherever you are. You can do it here. You can do it at home. You can do it at any moment and just say yes to Him. So I would invite you to reach out to God and say yes. Jesus, come into my life. I'm saying yes to you and let us help you on that journey with him. It's been a pleasure being with you today, Curate. Thanks for having me.